I can say they 5X'd in my time there. So yeah, I mean, they were early stage. So they were at, uh, let's say around a few, few tens of thousands in MRR. And then they are now at a multi-million ARR. Marketing is about values. Nike didn't call me and sell me this in a catalog. I bought this swoosh because it's ingrained in my soul. You know, when you have a product that really resonates with, with customers, the word of mouth uh, grows like wildfire. Welcome to the Marketing Max Show. Now, let's dive in. Yash Chavan, thank you for coming on to the show. You are based in India, right? Correct. I'm in, I'm in Mumbai, India. Yep. Mumbai. Very, very cool. So we first connected because I think you reached out to sponsor my newsletter. Yes. And you ran some ads in the newsletter. And then like a creepy stalker that I normally am, or smart businessman, whichever way you fall on that decision, I found you on LinkedIn and I learned that you are the head of growth for Samsama. And I've always been fascinated by the company and it would kind of coincide with the timing of launching this podcast. And I immediately thought, I got to have Yash on to the podcast. Like I, I have to learn more about your experience as head of growth over there. I also did some digging and you've had some other amazing marketing opportunities or, or marketing roles, I should say. And now you're the founder of an influencer marketing platform. So we'll dive into all that, but would love to just start if you could give us a little bit of background on who you are and kind of maybe a, a brief summary of your marketing career, what you're passionate about. We can go from there. Sure. How far do you want me to go? Do you want me to just like start like from college or like my past life? Where do you want me to go? How? <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, I'm always interested in past yeah. life stories. So you know, whatever you whatever you feel is relevant to getting to know Yash Chavan. Okay. Awesome. Yep. We'll we'll start in this world just to make this just to not make this too Tim Ferriss. We <laughs> start in this world. But yeah, um, I was basically like like every Indian ever. I was in engineering college. Did not like it. Um, was not for me. So I was like, you know what? And I always had it in me that I wanted to start a business or do like be in on the business side of things, not on the engineering side of things. But I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna start like get a sales job or something like that, right? Because that was a common advice. Like, hey, if you wanna be a like be in business, learn sales. Like, you have to be a salesperson, right? And then I did some odd like sales jobs, random. I sold gyms, I sold just like stupid things. And then eventually I got a job at a fintech startup here. I was the seventh team member there. So I, I've always been like the guy who's at the very, very early stages of a company. Never worked at a company that was more than maybe 15 or 20 people. So never worked at a big like organization. Um, always been at startups. And then that has been defining for me really. So yeah. Continuing my story, got the role, sales role. I was the first sales guy there. So they were just a group of engineers and I was the first salesperson. They had no real customers except for some like beta users from referrals and things like that. Early, early stage, maybe had like 10 customers. Then I, I went on and I had zero clue what I was doing because I was also brand new. I was still in college. So I was like, what do I do here? And then I just started cold calling our ideal clients. Cause I was like, you know what, what, what else are you going to do to get people? So I did some cold calls and then I remember the very first cold call I did, I ended up closing the person. So that really hit me. And then I was just like all in on sales after that. So I did sales for a while. And then eventually I discovered marketing and growth, read some books. And I was like, you know what? Marketing seems to be more powerful because when you do sales, you're into psychology and things like that. 
Um, and then eventually I found marketing. I'm like, you know what? Marketing, this marketing thing sounds much better than sales because it's one to many versus sales is one to one. So it's, I don't know, it gave me like a feeling of power, something like that. If you were to psychoanalyze it. And then, yeah, did some, like, went into marketing roles and then eventually started my agency. That's where you see all the, like, the interesting roles pop up on my LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn is not even fully complete because started, like, a niche agency where we used to work with tech founders. Um, So exactly with the situation I said, where you're a group of techies, you've built a platform, but you've got no, like, real growth coming in. So we used to do the early stages of growth and then eventually... I found Sansama and they were a really good client. And then as I was rolling the agency off to start my own thing, I just got absorbed in-house in Sansama, head of growth. So yeah, grew Sansama from pretty early stages to about more than a couple of million in ARR. So Sansama is doing really, really well. Um, and yeah, since then, I always wanted to start, like I said, start my own thing and then eventually found a problem in the influencer marketing world. It was just too complex and too expensive. So we made it simple and easy. So yeah, that's the story so far. And now I'm the founder at Saral, which is a simple and affordable influencer marketing tool. So yeah. Wow, what a what a career you've had. I absolutely <laughs> love that you said in India, they say if you want to get into business, go into sales. Yes. That's a, that's a common thing over there, huh? Yeah, it's like, I don't think that's necessarily a common thing in India. That's just something that I heard like online. I was not, I was never tapped into the zeitgeist here. Like in India, there's not much of a, like a discussion about even being in business because yeah like historically we've been a socialist because when we do you want to dive into this sure like so 1947 was when we got independence right from the british so that's when we were independent and then the us was against us back then and then we allied with the soviet union and they were communists so we ended up the, the indian economy up until 1991 was very socialist so the culture still is a lot of very like, I would say like very conservative. There's not much of a, like a business culture, although that has changed quite a lot in the last say 10 years, there's been rapid growth there. And of course, I think you probably already know like all the startups that are coming in from here and so on, but that is rapidly changing. But in general, like maybe like five years ago when I started in my career, there was no like tech going into business was not like a socially acceptable thing to do, but yeah. What made you want to go into business? Were your parents into business or were they entrepreneurs or just? No, so I'm the first like business guy in my family. I don't know, just always was there from ever since I was a kid. Like I remember selling this like pen in school that used to light up when you used to like write with it. And because there was like a pressure sensor in it or something, I sold it for like, I used to get it for like five bucks. I sold it for 10 bucks, something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I've always been like s selling things and I always had that. And it was more of, I'm just doing my own thing. I was always like the rebel type of, I never used to like fit in and so on. So, but I was good <laughs> at studies, so which is an interesting, because usually like the entrepreneur origin story is there. I sucked at school, nothing worked. And then I started my own thing. I was actually really decent at school. So I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's really funny. So you and I have one major thing in common and one major thing that we are opposites on. And that is, I was an awful student. I graduated high school and college both with around a 2.7 GPA, barely passed college. I mean, I, I flunked out of two or three different math and quantitative business math courses and had to retake those and negotiate with the professors to give me a D plus, which meant that I didn't have to retake it. <laughs> I see. And here I am, you know, doing all right. But on the other side of that, the thing that we do have in common, you said like when you were, you know, five years old or something, or, or when you were young, when you were a kid, you would make up things to sell for $5 or $10. 
when I was in fifth grade, I was making name cards for our class. And we had these like Hoig bucks. My, my teacher was Mrs. Hoig. And so every, I think it was every week, if we like did a good job on like the pop quiz or the spelling bee or whatever the hell it was, we'd get like five Hoig bucks. And uh-huh. so I made these really cool designs because there was a design award and I would sell them to my friends for five Hoig bucks each. And that was like my first real exposure to making something, selling it for money. And I was like, this is so amazing. And then I would, I was able to spend it on like longer recess or pizza lunch or whatever it was. Yep. You know, I, I, you and I both had, had that hustle from a very young age, which is. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That is good. Yep. <laughs> which is awesome. Another thing you said that I love is, you know, marketing is one to many and sales is, is one to one. Can you talk a little bit about how you transitioned from your role as a salesperson as your role in marketing? Was Samsama your first marketing role or was there a role before that? Nah, far from it. Um, so in the same company where I was doing, <laughs> yeah, Samsama better. If I if the if first time I ever did marketing, I got the results that I got Samsama, then I should, I don't know, uh, I should not be a founder. I should just go all in <laughs> on marketing, do marketing, right? Um, but yeah, but yeah, so in the same company, the very first, like my job in sales, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do the marketing as well. Um, and then I just started reading, reading some books. I don't know if you know, uh, you probably know, right? Growth by the Dr. Co-founder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gabriel yeah, yeah. Weinberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like my first book that I read on marketing. And I was like, oh, okay, like this growth, there's this growth thing. Um, and it's more than just sales and sales is like one part of it. And it was just very exciting. So I just started doing things there, built like a, back then built a proper like a acquisition system for them from, it was still like marketing, but sales related. So stuff like creating content assets for sales, creating LinkedIn automations, building a content program, things like that. And then eventually hopped on a couple of other marketing roles where I did more of like the holistic. So then learned some Google ads, Facebook ads, paid media, did all of that. And then fundamentally, I was always about learning the basics as opposed to learning any tactic. So I'm not like the best Google ads person or the Facebook ad person or whatever. But then I think understanding ad psychology and understanding, just understand your users. I think at the end of the day, it doesn't even have to be, you don't have to learn psychology, but if you understand your users and what motivates them, what drives them, what keeps them awake, then you're a, I would say you're a marketer. So yeah. Early on in my career, my very first job out of college was working at an investment bank and I was charged with bringing on new clients, basically startups who would pay a monthly fee to help us or for us to help them raise capital, introducing them to investors, helping them with pitch deck, everything else. And so I kind of learned sales in that job and particularly in Wall Street, very different kind of Wall Street experience, Wall Street life. Like I was in sales, so I read a bunch of sales books and I believe that my experience early on in my career, taking that investment bank, uh, taking their revenue, like literally 10X from the time I joined as you know, junior business development person, the head of business development. I think that really made me an amazing marketer because to your point, I was able to learn a lot more about psychology, what it takes to get people to do what you want and how to get people to buy things or say yes. How much would you say that sales experience that you had before your quote unquote marketing career led to a lot of that psychology and what you were talking about, the principles versus the tactics? Yeah, a hundred percent, right? I think sales without sales, because I do speak with marketers who did not do sales before. And they tend to mm-hmm. think in, I'm not like jabbing at them, just an observation. <laughs> they tend to think in generalities versus thinking one-on-one. Because even with, I, I know I said that it's it's one-to-many, 
but it at the end of the day the transaction is still one to one right it's yes your ad is been shown to like 100,000 people but for that one person who's reading the ad it's still like a sales conversation through say an ad right so it's a video ad or a static ad so having that sales background totally helped and just like having the reps in in sales helps you because as marketers we tend to be abstracted away from the user because we are running a google ad or we're doing a sponsored newsletter and we don't know how people are reacting to the things we write or the things we say versus in sales you see the person's expression you're also like pre-covid you're sitting in front of them so you see the general vibe of the room change when you say certain things i mean that i think one-on-one experience is is unbeatable or even you don't even have to be in sales like even if you as a marketer if you just do some cold calls and like any business that you're a part of right now could use some cold calling, right? It doesn't hurt. So just do like a hundred cold calls um, over ten days and <laughs> see how see what that teaches you. I think that's that's good. So yeah, yeah, that's funny. You and I have a lot in common, and I love that you you bring up the cold calling thing because my first ever internship, not job, my first ever job I just mentioned, investment banking, head of business development. But my first ever internship was actually for a private wealth management group, uh, you know, a group of financial advisors that helped people invest their money in the stock market. And part of my job was research and analyzing stocks and bond portfolios and funds to invest in. The other part of my job was cold calling lawyers in Manhattan. <laughs> I had to call a hundred lawyers every single day. Yeah. And it was wild because these massive law firms that have like 10,000 lawyers, 20,000 lawyers, they would print the, the phone number, like the directory hmm. on their website. You could call every single person. You knew that Yash Chavon lawyer for real estate <laughs> practices or whatever, his extension was 302. And so I would call and it would be 302 and I would get through. Mm. And I've never thought about it until this exact moment, but I can't imagine, you know, just how impactful that learning and that experience was to my current marketing successes and failures, yeah. but to my current marketing successes, just realizing how to get people to quote unquote, stop the scroll on a TikTok, how to get people, hey, don't don't hang up on me, don't hang up on me. It's not saying don't hang up on me, it's it's other things. So maybe that's a good little piece of advice. If you're just trying to get into marketing, you should get a job in sales and you should do some cold calling first because it'll make you a better marketer. Yeah, even like a month in sales, right? I think it would be massively beneficial. So yeah. If you like what you're hearing, please take a quick second to hit that share button and text it to a friend post it in a Slack channel, or share it on any of your favorite social platforms. It takes us hours to make this show, but only a few seconds for you to share it with your community. Thanks. Let's get back to the show. I want to talk about some Samak just because I was so enamored by your growth there and the product itself. Can you give us a little bit of background into what the actual product is and maybe how you got hired and, and what the premise was for you know the first few months of your role there yeah awesome so good question sansama i had tried it before i think i tried it probably a, like a year before i joined sansama and i had no intention of joining them when i tried them i just tried it and i loved the product because i'm always i'm the i'm like the productivity guy so i have like my calendar organized i have everything tagged i have notion i have automations and things like that so oh, sansama is like a daily planner for people who are busy. So anyone who, if you want to save like an hour every day, use Sansama, as simple as that. So it's like a planner that integrates with your calendar, that integrates with your email, with your GitHub, with your Trello, with a Notion, bunch of other tools. It pulls everything in one place. So you stop switching tabs 
and then you just have a one focused view of your list of your task list for the day and it has the good thing that i like about sansama even before I'm not saying this as like the, their marketer or whatever even before i ever joined them was that it was very guided which is something as a product philosophy i take with me even when we are building saral now is that they are very um focused on what they want their customers to do and they're very vocal about their philosophy so they're like hey don't plan 100 tasks for today because obviously you're not going to get them done and then you're going to start feeling guilty about not getting done and then the next day you carry that over and then the next day is like 10% worse right so they're very they build in it's opinionated software which i loved even back then and they're very clear on who they want versus who they don't want so that was very good and then so that's in sama it's like if you want to have a productive life use in sama so yeah <laughs> my research pointed to the fact that the founder i believe is in san francisco correct right and a good amount of their engineers are in san francisco so how did you land that job yeah they're a fully distributed team some of them are in in, in i think london uk portugal canada um not a big team just like about i think 6 or 7 people so yeah and the founders are they've been building it so interesting you find sure about i mean not funny but like people don't realize that they've been building it from 2013 so they've been around for a long time it's like almost like like a decade now yeah <laughs> so they built different things um sansama as you see it right now as the productivity app probably started i think somewhere around 2018 or 19 if i recall correctly before that they tried different things with like it's in the productivity space um but did not work out so they've been at it so that's another thing i admired about their story when i met with them was that they've just been like dedicated and that's a good thing to see in founders is that yeah like we've been just at it forever at this point right <laughs> so yeah and then the way i landed that job was basically they were a client right so i started the agency after i did the the marketing since i was like okay i figured out like a good playbook i understand fundamentals i can go into a company that has a certain you can call it product market fit back then i used to call it case studies so as long as you have proven multiple times that you can take a customer from position a to desired state b i can help you scale that right so you're in early stage but you have that product market fit where you can do these transformations for people i can come in understand your users and basically sell to them better than you can because you're maybe you're a tech or a product related founder you don't know as much as sales and marketing so i come in and i be the marketing and sales kind of brain of the company right and that my engineering background helped with that because even though i hated it i knew all the terms that techies would use which usually marketers don't right so they liked that about me and i realized that and then i so that's again understanding my customers right or what they like what they dislike right And so that that gave me an edge, and yeah, I've been always working with US based companies. So even after the the first kind of the sales job that I mentioned, even after that, I was like, hey, you know what? I just like why not go international because everything is on Zoom. And one thing I hate about Indian startup culture, which is I guess the case in Silicon Valley also, it's very basically it's very Silicon Valley esque. It's very uh, raise a lot of money, like throw a bunch of money on marketing. and see what works which i did not appreciate uh versus in the us on the, of course there is that but i the market is more mature so i did see that there was a more healthier approach to marketing and a smarter approach in my opinion so i like that and that's why i just gravitated towards us based companies so 
yeah, and then they did the agency, and then that's where we worked with Prisma, Neom, Cledara, which is a Spanish company, and a bunch of other firms. I worked with them, and then we found Sansama. I think Sansama, if I recall correctly, I must have seen like a video somewhere or something like that, and I reached out to them um, or on a newsletter or something like that. And yeah, I reached out. I'm like, hey, got a good product. Let me help. And then I worked really, really hard to get them as a client. Um, and then, yeah, like I did like a, I put together like a thesis of how I would grow the company and so on. So I like went prepared and then they really liked it. I think they had hired a marketer before, but after that point, like I th- after maybe 2018, 19, they did not have a marketing person. So they, they ended up hiring me and that's, that's, we took it from there. So, yeah. I, I absolutely love the story of they were a client and then you basically transitioned from client of the agency to head of growth for the startup. Yeah, so if we want to talk about that, so the agency got just too chaotic for me because we had all these clients and it was bottlenecked by me. So this was like my first proper business. So I did not realize that I should not be the constraint of the service delivery, um, especially in agencies, right? Um, so I had me as kind of like the brain and like the main executioner. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that is, it's a, I think that's a bad word. I don't know. We, we know <laughs> what you mean. We know what you mean. Yep, yep, yep. And then... I had a group of three more guys and then we used to hire contractors and things that if they needed help. But it was like a scrappy operation with me being the lead and there was no, if I stopped, so at that point I was just working like insane 80, 18 hour days, hardly sleeping. But like, yeah, we were making money, but it was just so extreme. Anyway, at that point I was like, I like to think I'm a long-term thinker. So I was like, do I see myself doing an agency business in 10 years from now? And the answer was no. So I was like, you know what, let me sunset this thing. So we just basically picked our main clients, just, just said no thanks to everyone else, and then slowly transitioned away based on like, maybe they hired someone and then we trained them and so on. And then Sansama was just good and nice. So I stuck to Sansama. So that's how that happened. It came from, it was it's like a match made in heaven almost, because I was anyway kind of just like frustrated with the way the business was running. And then Sansama happened. And then I was like, you know what, this is a good company. I think this is a good sign to just transition away. And yeah. So day one, you are head of growth for Samsama. You no longer have your agency. It's a productivity app. And I think it's like 10 bucks a month, right? So the LTV isn't all that high, 20 bucks a month. The LTV isn't all that high. So you don't have a whole lot of room to work with on, you know, your, your cost to acquire customer versus LTV spread there. What's your first move? What do you do? Is it Facebook ads? Is it SEO? Is it partnerships? Like day one, you know, that's a pretty big challenge there. So what's, what does the day one move look like? I'll tell you the situation before I joined, right? So they were working with, they had worked with a couple of agencies doing different, very tactic oriented. So like any, like, I guess I see it across tech founders. It's like, oh yeah, SEO. We do SEO, we do Facebook ads, we do Google ads. So very like tactic oriented and no real direction in terms of what's our marketing strategy in general or our, I should call it marketing philosophy, like why are we doing the things we are doing? And Facebook ads, they were doing Facebook ads. So they were spending quite a lot of money on the budget on Facebook and like more than 10K on an agency retainer for like the separate, like a Facebook ads agency. So I was like, this is a burning fire. Let's just stop. Uh, so we took that in-house, fired the agency, and then like I had to like refresh my knowledge of Facebook ads to get that under control. Turns out the agency was doing a pretty pathetic job at it, and then eventually got those costs a little bit under control, but it was just impossible to acquire on Facebook profitably 
especially for like a $20 a month product that has like a long, because there's no payback also. It's not like I'm getting like 500 bucks, I'm getting 20 and it pays back over a long period of time, right? So there was no way that we were going to acquire profitably, which I realized after, let's say about two months, just like cleaning up their Facebook ads, running test campaigns for a month. And I'm like, probably not going to work. And fundamentally also Facebook was tending to be a higher and higher CAC channel in general. So I was like, you know what? We're a low LTV product. I don't think Facebook ads is fit. So we eventually sunset Facebook ads. And the good thing about Sansama, like you said, because you've heard of it from somewhere, right? They had very good word of mouth. So they have people on Twitter talking about them constantly. They had very good reviews on their support tickets. So people used to say nice things. And that I recognized that. And then I was like, hey, you're already getting word of mouth. Let's incentivize that because that's user behavior. We can count on that as a strategy. Let's incentivize that and work with people who are users who also happen to have an audience of 10,000 people on Instagram, right? So we did that and then slowly like started an influencer program, very scrappy. So basically the strategy was stop the Facebook ads fire, try to get it under, under control, was not happening. So just like sunset Facebook ads slowly, um, focused on in the influencer channel because that was paper sale or paper close basically. So we only used to pay a commission once we got a customer. So that was perfect, quite the opposite of Facebook ads because we were basically paying them like twice or thrice what our LTV was essentially. So we're like, you know what? It's just complete opposite profitable channel. Cracked that over like the next six to eight months. And then, yeah, influencers really, really hit it for them because it was just like the pulse of the market, I think, um, in terms of um, having a profitable channel and in terms of also building a healthier business because being reliant on a third party, it's again like paid media, earned media, owned media. So we went from paid to earned. And then since then they've gone from, I mean, they are still doing the influencer channel, but now they're also doing the owned media channel uh, with like content and things like that. So again, going from paid, which is highest CAC, massaging it with some earned, um, and then now moving on towards owned channels and content distribution and things like that. So yeah, that was the story. So many questions there. And it's so interesting, right? Like very often you hear founders or marketers say, you know, we need to get away from Facebook ads and we need to, I guess it's more founders, right? They don't want to spend the 50 or $100,000 a month and the $10,000 a month on, on the agency. You know, we, we need to get to affiliates. We need to get to pay per performance, basically pay per new customer affiliates and uh, word of mouth and like turning customers into affiliates. That's what I mean. But what was kind of, you said it was a six to eight or six to nine month process. Any interesting nuggets as much as you can share about maybe what didn't work and what didn't work in terms of incentivizing existing users to share it with friends or coworkers or everything else? Because everyone talks about it, but I think very few people actually spend six to eight months. They, they'll maybe like sign up for partner stack and they'll email everyone saying, hey, you know, we'll give you 20% commission every person you send our way. And it's like, okay, well, it's a $20 product. I'm getting 20%. So you're giving me $4 every time someone signs up. Like that's not worth the even time it takes for me to text my friend, hey, you should sign up for this tool. So any any insights or thoughts on as much as you can share what you worked through in that six to eight months to perfect that, to turn it from a, a really no effective channel to a super effective channel? Good question. So the way we started was, again, it was not a referral program. They had a referral program in place already, although that was not, um, like you said, it was just like a, hey, you get a link and you can share it with a friend. Uh, that was not a 
was a negligible source of acquiring new customers, <laughs> if that. So that was not working. And then the way we did it was we reached out to people. It's all about, again, I guess, also in like marketing and just life engineering, it's all about the people who you reach out to. So we reached out to productivity influencers, of course, because it's a productivity tool. I think fundamentally, the product was just so good that it helped, right? That definitely helps. So everyone who tried it, who was on, let's say, uh, an alternative, I don't like saying competitor because they're not competitors, let's say such as an Asana or a Todoist or someone like that. When they tried Sansama, either Sansama was just a fit and they stopped using the other tool or because Sansama already had integrations with the other tool, it acted as a layer on top for focus and for managing oneself. They just loved it. And the way we approached the conversation was we used to give them an extended free trial. So we did not even mention commissions or anything of that sort. So we're like, hey, really love your content. We'd love to give you a 30-day free trial. Why don't you sign up and test it out? And we used to do onboarding calls in the early days with influencers, just like teach them how it works. Eventually, we like cross streamlined it a little bit with videos and onboarding documents and things like that. But early days, it was all just like scrappy. So we did that. And then that's how we started. The commissions question is really good because giving a 10 or 20% of a $20 a month subscription is not meaningful because they could get like $4. So we tried different affiliate incentives. I think the very earliest incentive that we had was we even have like done the thing. So like a 10 or 20%, I think it was 20% in the early days that did not really appeal to creators. Then we did a paper trial, which is more appealing because then you don't have to wait up until the, the money comes in because we knew what our conversion rates were. So we knew, knew what our cost per trial should be to get a certain CAC because we knew that knew the trial to upgrade conversion rate. Um, and based on that, we calculated, hey, we, sh- we can pay this for a trial. That really hit with creators. Even if it's e-commerce, they're going to pay on sales. There's no trial in e-commerce. I and mean, if it's SaaS, they're going to pay on the subscription. But we differentiated by paying on the free trial, which influencers really liked. And that's how we um, we differentiated ourselves. So that was those were the early days. But yeah. <laughs> what was the... The actual uh, thing that you gave on on a free trial, how much cash or do you remember? Or I'm just curious, like, was it more than $4? (laughs) Was it meaningful? (laughs) (laughs) On the free trial, I think it was the whole of the first month. Um, So I think it was 20 bucks or 30 bucks or something like that. So even if you drive, let's say you have 10,000 or 20,000 followers, you drive 10 people, it's still like, it's good lunch money, right? So Sansama, you're using daily. It's a daily use product. So there are many excuses throughout the day to post, which is one more thing about influencer marketing or just affiliates in general. Is like if you have a once a week use product or a once a month use product, it'll be difficult to succeed with influencer. I'm not saying it's impossible, but then if you have a daily use product, it's much, much easier because there's just more excuses to create content about you. And all they have to do is post your story and link it. So, yeah. This was 2018 or 2019? This was fairly recent. This was 20... 21, early, oh, early okay. 2021, yep. So platform breakdowns, I'm guessing mostly TikTok then? We started on Instagram. For so, these influencers. Yep, influencers, yep. So Instagram, strictly. Um, again, I'm very much about focus. I know marketers like to write trends. I am not one of those people. <laughs> TikTok was trending back then as it is now. But we were like, hey, you know what? Let's just focus on Instagram. Fundamentally, I think, again, it came down to understanding our core user persona. It was someone who wants to focus on their work. Someone who wants to focus on their work likely is not 
going to be scrolling TikTok nonstop because it's a very ADD platform, uh, for lack <laughs> of a better uh, description, right? So we were like, let's do Instagram. So we started with Instagram, moved on to YouTube. And then after YouTube, did we diversify a little bit into TikTok, but it's still not, it was never like a major portion of the influencers. It was mostly like people who are on Instagram and YouTube who also have a TikTok used to post, but it was never our core platform ever. So, yeah. Got it. And I think this is a good segue into what you're doing now. So I'll tee up the question for you back in your Samsama days. How did you go about finding the influencers? Did you use a platform? Did you just yourself go on Instagram and try to find these people yourself and DM them and ask them for rates? Did you work with an agency? Yes. Early stage, very never worked with an agency. Early stage were very, very scrappy. Um, so just like manually finding people on Instagram, on YouTube, searching for keywords, productivity, persona related keywords. So like, yeah, we knew that moms who are part-time or just working moms are a good persona for Sansama because they have so much more to manage than the average person. Um, so like they'll have their kids' schedules in, in their calendar. They'd have their schedule in their calendar and they would take it just easier in one place. That was a core persona. So mom influencers worked really well. But yeah, it was all just crappy finding people manually. And then after a point where up until we got our first maybe 20, 25 people, uh, it was all just manual. So we did not use a tool, did not use anything else. It was just like validating the channel and seeing if it works before we invested in any external resources. And at that point, we knew that this is something that was showing some signs of success. I mean, this, those signs were not necessarily just like the most amount of traffic or sales. It was just like qualitative. So everyone liked it. The influencer liked it. The comments were really, really high quality. So we were like, okay, we can scale this and it will become something meaningful. Um, and that's when we decided to look at tools. So we did sign up for multiple tools. Again, had limited success with them. And then eventually, um, I was pretty clear even at Sunsama that I wanted to start something of my own. And then we started building Saral and we just used Saral um, to find the influencers. So, yeah. If you like what you're hearing, please take a quick second to hit that share button and text it to a friend post it in a Slack channel, or share it on any of your favorite social platforms. It takes us hours to make this show, but only a few seconds for you to share it with your community. Thanks. Let's get back to the show. From the time you started at Samsama to the time you left, I found some stat on it, but I, I can't seem to see it now. Are you able to share like, you know, you grew up from X to X using these strategies or users or revenue or anything of the sort? Yeah, I can say they 5X in, in my time there. So yeah, I mean, they Amazing. were early stage. So they were at, uh, let's say around a few tens of thousands in MRR. And then they are now at a multi-million ARR. So I can give you those numbers, but I don't have the permission to share, but yeah, like exact numbers, but generally they were 5X almost. Totally yeah. fine. And importantly, they did it profitably, which is what I think, because even if they forexed, I would be happy because the important thing for me was, and for them, was that they remain profitable while we did it, right? There were many opportunities that we could have taken if we had like maybe two more million in the bank, we could have raised money, right? But we did not do that. We managed to remain profitable while growing that revenue, which was as a marketer, it was a much better feeling than if I just blew like 100K a month on Facebook ads and then we 5X'd, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it was profitable. You're paying not necessarily per 
sign up of paying customer, but for a free trial, at least instead of just, you know, spending 50K on Facebook ads and hoping that X percent of people convert and convert and convert. Exactly. Yep. And then actually, eventually we moved on to paying for actual customers. So the tr- the problem with the trial thing was it was good until we had, let's say like a hundred or so people, um, which is still a significant influencer program, but it's still not like you're not famous, right? Um, but as we started growing and as we went on these platforms, um, like marketplaces and things like that to get more influencers, what we figured out was there was a lot of scammers uh, from, especially from the affiliate uh. world, not necessarily influencers who scammed us ever, who went on, they decided that, wait, it's a 20 a month product and they're paying 20 bucks on a free trial. A lot of them created fake accounts, fake trials. And um, yeah, thankfully we were able to detect them <laughs> co- uh, like through some reports of users and through just like looking at data of how people are converting. And some affiliates, like they never converted. They're like, wait, this, this person's like the fraudulent, right? Because the conversion rate did not make sense. So I think they still are doing that. It's public. So it's $100 for every customer. So now it's the reverse where other brands are paying a percentage of what you get of the sale. They're paying a multiple of the sale. So it's 20 bucks. When they pay, once they pay 20 bucks, you make a hundred bucks, right? And then obviously the retention metrics are there to prove that out. So it's much better. I mean, technically you could still fraud the system by paying the 20 bucks in earning, but then the scammers don't want to do that. So we're pretty safe there. <laughs> but then it's a break even for the scammers. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you joined, they were at like 10 or 20,000 users. You 5X'd it in your time there. 50,000 plus users. If you were to make a pie chart of the acquisition source, what percent of them came from influencers versus just peer affiliates versus paid versus word of mouth? Yep. So I would group influencers and affiliates and word of mouth in just one category because it was like whoever is word of mouthing us is on the on the ambassador program um so the ambassador program as a whole was probably like around say 45 to 50 percent some of it was just pure organic word of mouth which was like someone tweeted about us but twitter was not a platform that we were focused on for the ambassador so it was just like hey someone tweeted um roughly about 10 to 20 percent came from there which is great um, and the rest of it was some paid media, some content, a lot eventually later on came from Google. Um, so Google ads were really, really crushing it because another thing that I again advise, whitelisting is very common in influencers. It's like a fancy word for taking an influencer's post and running ads to it. What you should also do if you're a brand doing influencers is run Google ads. One important learning, because people will look at an influencer's post, they won't buy, then they will Google you. And you better be the top search results <laughs> there so that they click on the Google ad and they and they purchase. So yeah, Google ads did really well for them. So that was the split. So roughly half of it was the ambassador channel, some like miscellaneous word of mouth here and there. And then the rest of it was Google ads. So yeah. And it sounds like with that strategy, Google ads primarily bidding on your own term, bidding on your own brand name, because people would see it in, in the wild and they would Google the brand name. Yep, exactly. And branded search was just extremely cheap once with the influencers so yeah <laughs> so wait sorry were you bidding on the influencer's name or on the samsama brand name itself no no on the on, on the brand name on the samsama brand name yep got it because you're saying bidding on influencers that's why i was like bidding on the influencer name so you have this amazing success with samsama you 5x their growth in a short amount of time and something happens and then you launch Serral. 
what was that transition like? How did you come up with the idea for Serral and, and what is your new company? Yeah, pretty seamless transition, actually. So I was building it while I was there. So yeah, just, they were pretty clear about it. They were very, very supportive of it. So yeah, which is why I still help them with that. They are still customers of Serral. So as a good um, software founder, I still work with them as all other stuff as well. Um, and I have great relationships with everyone there. So that is nice. And then the transition was just that at this point, I had scaled about four companies, four or five to more than a million in ARR. And I was just thinking, hey, why am I not doing this for myself? <laughs> um, and that was the that was like the foundation of it. And I was like, you know what? This influencer problem seems to be something that's affecting us at Sansama. And then I started speaking to other people and it was a real problem. It was just like all the software was did not work, was very, very expensive, annual contracts only, think like enterprise software. And there was no like SaaS alternative for startups or early stage brands. So that's what we decided to do do at Saral. So that, that was the origin story. And then, yeah, eventually we built, tested it out, launched it in December of last year. I mean, then, yeah, so far we have about 70, 75 brands on the platform. Excited to hit some of it <laughs> thanks to your newsletter as well. But um, yeah. And I love digging into business metrics and CAC and LTV. You don't need to share this so we can skip this. But I'm curious, how does the CAC and the LTV numbers compare to Samsung? I don't, I, I, I'm guessing it's not 20 bucks a month. I, I should know this because you, you advertise in our newsletter, but. What does Serral cost and what do you get for the cost and like to walk us through those those metrics? Yeah, so I don't actually have the CAC numbers um, for um, Serral in general. Uh, we, I just know that we are overall profitable. So that's a good thing. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I do not Self-funded, right? Yeah. Fully self-funded or you took on investors? Yep, self, fully hey. self-funded. Nope, nope, fully self-funded We, so we celebrate self-funded, profitable businesses on this podcast for sure. Amazing. Yeah, I like that. So like I said, like I generally think that taking venture capital is just cheating. So unless like you're flying rockets into space or something like that, and like, yeah, take venture, like we might raise capital in a year from now or something like that, right? But we have built a sustainable business before that. Raising venture on, on the slide deck is just, like, I don't know, it's just foolish. <laughs> so yeah. I agree. Well, whenever you do raise, if you do, definitely send me a note. I would love to be an angel investor if you'd have me. You're, you're a great founder. You're a great marketer. And I bet on great people, not necessarily great companies or ideas. So I'm in. Count, count me in for Thank a small you. check. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yep. I Very will. cool. And so... And then and then free free placements on, on DTC Daily, right? <laughs> we could talk about it. Yep. We could talk about we'll it. We'll add it to the terms. Yep. Discounted for sure. Yes. Discounted for sure. I still have my my overhead and my CapEx to pay for. I, <laughs> I know, pay I for, yep. for growth and everything else. Yeah. So great. We, we typically end these podcasts with a rapid fire list of questions. Feel free to answer them in a few words or a few sentences, whatever you whatever you want. They're kind of simple questions, but I think they really paint a picture of how far you've come and a little bit more about who you are as a person. So we'll just go through these pretty quickly. What is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? The best piece of advice that I've... Oh my God. There have been so many. I think if I were to pick one, do the boring work. So if you're not willing to put in the grind, then even if like it's not necessarily business advice, just in general, and I think this just applies to like everything, not just business in life, in relationships. If you're not have, willing to have the hard conversations, if you're not willing to send those hundred emails manually to people, 
personalized. Um, if you're not willing to do the that type of work, which you might not think is high leverage or that like a business owner should do, then it's not going to work out. So I think do the boring work is probably the best piece of advice that at least I can think of right now, <laughs> top of mind. So yeah. I love that. Too many first-time entrepreneurs think that because they're title is CEO <laughs> that yeah. they need to outsource the boring work or that the boring work is beneath them. So I love that piece of advice. What was your favorite class in college? My favorite class in college was nothing actually, because I did not, I did not like engineering <laughs> at all. And yeah, I flunked, I said I was a good student, but I flunked college. So no, no, no favorite, but I can say that my favorite subject in school was definitely physics. Okay. I wanted to be a physicist, actually. If like this, like so, it was this, this weird combination in my head about of academia and business. But I think eventually I've realized that it's just like experimentation that I am in love with more than anything else. So it's like business is it's an experiment. So you try a certain thing. Even in marketing, you have a hypothesis. You run some. You you run an experiment. You see how how your subjects react, and then you're like you make a decision. So I think. Generally, I think experimentation and having that that mindset of a scientist is, was appealing to me, and which is why physics was my favorite subject. So yeah, <laughs> I can see the title of the podcast now: from physicist to influencer marketing god. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, introducing yeah. God, okay. Hey, you had success with with it as a marketing principal, and now you're building a company in the space. Number three, what is your biggest career failure? What is my biggest career failure? Hmm, interesting. I guess if I were to do the agency again, I would do it. I think the agency, I would say, was an experiment in just madness. Um, and I did not do things right. Um, so I guess one of the things that I would do different was, I guess, hire better people, which which is like things that those mistakes I am rectifying at Saral. It's like just hire better people and don't just like be a, a one man RB almost like. So I think that's just in general what I would say. But yeah, I, I haven't had like catastrophic, um, like I, I never got fired or anything like that. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay. That's good. Or what's the, the book that you read that was the most impactful on your life or on your career? Uh, Relentless by Tim Grover. I read it when I was pretty young and it was a good reminder. So yeah, I, I really like that book. Have you read it? I have not. What, what's the biggest takeaway or what's the concept? So he has this concept about professional athletes. And I've always been, I train MMA. So oh. I've always been like inspired by pro athletes in general. Um, so that book is about, so Tim Grover was the coach of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and a couple of others, these like greatest of all times. And he's documented how those people think and behave. And how they have this relentless drive to be the best and how how people can implement their, that in their own fields, in their own sport. So that was a good, any anything that compares life and sport or life and business in general, I like. So yeah, if you, if you like that documentary, then you will like the book Relentless as well. So yeah, and I think Tim Grover has written some other books, but yeah, Relentless, it was a, was a great book that I read. So, yeah. I'm writing it down. I actually have a five hour flight tonight. And I'm a big audiobook fan on flights. So, oh, yes. Um, well, perfect. Yeah. 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 It's a great book to, to check out. So, yeah. Amazing. Okay. Final question. You kind of alluded to the fact that you practice MMA, but what do you like to do for fun outside of business and influencer marketing and physics? <laughs> <laughs> no. Although Oppenheimer would, 
will come out soon so i'm i'm looking forward to that <laughs> but <laughs> the physics nerd in me uh, will will rise again but yes i think what i do outside i think i just like mostly right now because we're so early at saral just about 7 months old yeah just like in that do the boring work phase so not a lot of time to do anything outside of of work um but as a break i think just sport and mma has been has been really really good and it's also like a again mma even like or martial not just MMA, any martial art even if you're boxing or doing karate or whatever um it's again about the repetition and like doing the pointless if you watched kung fu kid or or whatever right it's like doing the that the 10000 repetitions over and over and over again till it does not even if it does not make sense and then finally when you're in the fight it comes instinctually and you get a knockout and then you win and then it makes sense why you did the boring work so i think that mentality and the discipline from mma also helps me in in business so yeah i think it's like a nice holistic circle <laughs> amazing well i love that a few of your answers to the rapid fire questions coincide with each other doing the boring work and being relentless in in the pursuit of the boring work it sounds like you've done it throughout your career and you're doing it now with Cyril and I just appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast answer all my questions and and share some of your insights and knowledge and and success stories with us where can people find you what do you want to plug what do you want to promote if you're a consumer brand go to getsaral.com if you want to work with influencers pretty simple straightforward tool even if you've never done it before if you've done things inside the app that will basically guide you so you win um apart from that if you want to follow me i'm on twitter i see the man or linkedin same username so i'm the man so you can find me <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're the man you're the man saral is s a r a l right get saral s a r a l.com yep. get s a r a l.com very cool saral in sanskrit means simple So that's why we named it that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask cuz I I don't I don't know that word, but in Sanskrit it's simple. Okay. Simple, straightforward, easy influencer marketing. Sarah. Exactly. All right, Yash, appreciate you taking the time and we'll look forward to having you on podcast soon. Again. All righty, yeah. Cheers. Thanks, man. Cheers, Max. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Max show. It takes me and my team hours to produce it every single week, but it only takes you 15 seconds to hit that share button and text it to a friend, drop it in a Slack group, or share it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or any of your favorite social platforms. I appreciate you taking the time to check out my content. Have an awesome day.